All right, everybody. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, your source for New York sports talk for the long suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. As you can guess by the music here, we are ready for episode number 200 of the podcast today. We're talking about the Olympics. We have a big Olympic show for you today. We're going to dive deep into some Olympic sports. I'm going to be joined by first Martino Puccio to talk Olympic soccer. Then Anthony Sarling of the baseball beat will do the baseball return to the Olympic tournament. Dandy Martini, our PGA Tour guy, will talk about the golf at the Olympics. And Nick Friday is going to talk Olympic basketball with me, as well as our pop culture of the week. We're going to do our Marvel catch-all, talk some Black Widow, talk the end of Loki, and more. Make sure you, that's a big show, so buckle in, enjoy. We're going to start off with the opening tip, where I'm going to talk about my Olympic thoughts, the sports I'm looking forward to, outside of the big ones that we're talking about later, right after this. Two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, we are back here talking the opening tip here with the Olympics happening the next two weeks in Tokyo. Despite a COVID state emergency declared in the country, there are no fans at these games, and it's an interesting spot for the Olympics to be in. If we were talking on a purely humanitarian basis, based on, you know, the state of the world and the state of the country and whether or not it's good on a human level to host the games, they would not be happening. And they shouldn't be happening in that scenario. But we know this is a world where money makes the world go round. And the IOC was not going to forfeit 3 to $4 billion in broadcast rights to cancel the games. Because that's just not happening. These contracts are get filled. They're going to do them without the fans. And it's going to happen. And we'll see if this is a spot where the Olympics can sort of bring the world together a bit here. I think we're going to see what happens with this situation. And again, you had some concerning side. You had some positive COVID tests in the Olympic Village already. Coco Gal from the American side. Tennis is out. A couple of gymnasts, soccer players, athletes are coming in with positive COVID tests. Not surprising. The Delta variant is popping around. But hopefully the game's are not too interrupted. Like, let's say March Madison is the best example of them because they have a relatively sort of like NCAA-style bubble, and the March Madison got complete with just one game canceled. Hopefully we're in a similar situation here with the Olympics where we don't have a lot of stuff getting canceled because of positive tests. In terms of the sports I want to watch in the Olympics, a couple things I love here. Obviously, I love the swimming. I've always been a big swimming guy since Michael Phelps put on his Olympic show a few years ago. Big U.S. guy here is Caleb Dressel. I want to see how he performs. The track and field is always fun. And we're in a new situation here because Usain Bolt is retired. The world's fastest man titles are now officially up for grabs again. It'll be fun to watch that. I like to watch those odd sports as well, like your handballs, your archeries, your shooting, your table tennis, so on and so forth. And I think what's going on here, and I think it's good to see these things. I like to watch these things that, you know, nobody cares about less Olympic year, especially these random times. Again, with Japan hosting the games, it's a 13-hour time difference for the East Coast. You watch some of these things overnight, you know, first thing in the morning, late night. And I know they've done the schedule so that some of the key figures are going at like 10 o'clock at night Eastern time or 7 in the morning Eastern time. I think it's going to be fun. The gymnastics, I know people love it. That's not me. Don't ask me for gymnastics now. So I'm not going to give it to you. I have nothing to say on that front. 
Women's soccer, the U.S. team, heavily favored. Always a fun watch. Again, you got to check those NBC Sports after the schedules. Hopefully some of those games are like 10 o'clock at night or 7 in the morning here, so you can watch them. I think the other one for me, I think it's interesting here, the tennis. And the angle here is Novak Djokovic, who, as you know, won Wimbledon. He's won all three Grand Slams so far this season. Going for the gold medal here in Tokyo, and this is a spot where he can make some history. Novak, as I mentioned before, he can win the Golden Slam here. And that means win the Grand Slam in a calendar year and win a gold medal at the Olympics. It's only been done once in modern history. It's Steffi Graf in 1988, so no man has done this yet. If Novak can win this gold at the end of July, it'll be a lot of fun. I like the tennis. I think also he's going to see some of these women's stars step up here. It's a little underrated. I think it'll be interesting to watch this year. I like the Olympic ceremony. I think it's great that NBC's airing at 7 o'clock in the morning live. They'll replay it again in prime time, but I'm curious to see how it plays out the fans. I think it'll be interesting. I think this is going to be a fun Olympics for sure. We're going to do a lot of previews. We're going to start off with Martina Puccio and the soccer right after this. All right, we are back here on the podcast talking Olympic soccer today. Join me today, one of the big soccer mavens. We not just touched much soccer on this podcast lately. Martino Puccio is here. Martino, how are you? Good, good. Um, finally get to celebrate something uh, within my sports fandom. So um, doing well. Yeah, absolutely doing well. I mean, you're a big Italy guy. They just won the Euro. It's been a good week for you. Yeah, finally. Um, listen, to top it off with Chris Bryant soon or any big addition to the Mets, and then it's then it's a then it's a great week. Um, even seeing Messi win his first international trophy too was awesome for anyone who you know always uh, supports that guy and uh, how great of a player he actually is. Yeah, it's pretty fun for sure. I have to say, like in terms of the soccer on this podcast, I don't think we've talked soccer on here. I think since your first appearance here, we talked about the, the 2018 world cup has been that long. Yeah, I know. I was, I was uh, actually thinking about that or maybe we were talking about it. Um, and uh, I was like, yeah, wow. That was like 2018 at Iona. And that's it, like, you forget how fast it goes by. Cause it's already over three years now. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how quickly things can turn around. Cause Italy didn't even make it to the world cup. No, they did not make it the World Cup. And right now, we are here talking about the Olympics. And obviously, before we dive into it, do you have anything you want to add about the Euros or Copa before we move on? Um, no, I mean, there there wasn't there wasn't much else. It was, uh, you know, I was really just backing Italy for a couple of years now to win the tournament. Um, so that was, like, great to see that that came to fruition um beating England at, at at their own home turf was also amazing to get to see penalties are never fun it, it genuinely is not um when you have to go through all of that it's just the most intense thing possible um but the best team won the tournament and it's great to see a 53-year drought end um and, you know get to watch it with families like always a great thing because you know that's like one thing that you don't choose fandom wise if it's your background, it's what your family is, um, it's what everyone roots for. It's not a club thing. It's not a franchise or Mets and Yankees or Jets and Giants like a lot of my uh, family is like. So to, to be on the same side and then see something 
like that again, since the first time I was, you know, what, 11 years old, um, 15 years ago. So, I mean, again, it's just, it's just awesome to see. Yeah, it is. And we're going to shift gears to the Olympics here, which I think you, I think I'm going to make the analogy to see if you agree with it. I feel like Olympics to soccer sort of like what baseball trees Olympics, like where the best players don't all go. It's a lot of amateurs, either guys who are not playing professionally or like we're on the way up. So it's not the biggest deal compared to the World Cup, whereas baseball treats WBC more important. Would you agree with that analogy? Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's just, it's it's never really a thing, um, especially like baseball. It's right in smack middle of the season. Like it's way too important, you know. Um, with soccer, it's like recovery time or they're getting started for a new season or depending on what hemisphere these countries are coming from, they're in the middle of their season. So it's like difficult, you know. Um uh, you get like three players that are over the U23 mark, um, which is what the tournament is um, in, for the Olympics. So, I mean, it's cool to sometimes see like star players get brought up to that, but you take it with a grain of salt um, and, and the superpowers never really go there because a lot of the top young players um, for these countries go and play for the real international tournaments that are major, like, you know, Argentina's in this, Spain's in this, like a lot of their players were there for Copa America and the Euros. They're not really going to send those guys over to that. Uh, maybe some, if they didn't get a chance to play that much and they were just called up, but you're right for the most part, like we're seeing Todd Frazier play for USA. So, I mean, what else do you need to know? Yeah. I mean, the biggest example I could think of in terms of like a star going to the Olympics was back in 16 when Brazil sent Neymar to try and win the gold medal at, at home, which makes sense because that was the one big international tournament they never won. So like, this time, I don't think you're having any of that caliber going, if I'm correct. No, not – I mean, Neymar is just, like, totally different. He's a, he's basically an icon at this point. I mean, there's some real star players going to this, but not at that level. Not at that level. Yeah, for sure. And right now, this is four groups of four teams. So you have 16 teams in the field. There are some big names country-wise, like you mentioned. France is there, Spain, uh, Brazil defending champs, Germany, but, like – not a lot of big name players. So as you can see, like it turns to seeing some of the young talent coming up there. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, like some of these countries never really qualify for the world cup. And if they do, they don't make much noise at all. I mean, like South Africa, you know, you, you never see them there. I mean, Japan does a pretty good job of producing talent. Mexico is always the one country in this competition that always seems to be making noise. You get your South American countries as well. Um, just because of the way the season lines up is totally different over there. Um, you know, I, I would say for Ivory Coast, I might be biased. Frank Kessie is, is a star for AC Milan. Um, he's over the U23 age, but he's one of the best defensive midfielders in Europe, and he had his best season of his career. Um, so I, th I think that um, – and, and Mexico too. I mean, there's just – a lot of young talent that's coming up with there. Um, you saw some of them in the nation's league last month and um, you know, they're just, they're just trying to just win like the gold medals like that. Some of these countries know if they're not able to win the major of major tournaments, they're able to at least add a gold medal to their resumes, which is, which is huge for them. So like a gold medal is just like fantastic. Um, Messi won it with Argentina uh, years back. So it, it, it still carries weight, you know, it's still a gold medal. It's just no one, no one cares about it as much. 
um, just because of the U23 aspect and all the best players aren't going there. Like, like Honduras eliminated USA, but USA, we didn't have like all our top young talents. All of our top young talents that are U23 were with the, with the top team that was going to Nations League. And they, and they won Nations League. And I said it, I was like, listen, as nice as it is to win the Olympics, I rather our guys that are going to be there for the World Cup and the Gold Cup, which is happening right now, I'd rather those guys win something against the best competition. For me, it, like it's, it's nice. You want to win everything, but it like that just kind of shows where where my viewpoint of it all is and that's you know maybe maybe it's uh, a lot a few people don't agree with me on that but again at the end of the day i can't take it too seriously because it's like if we didn't win with our best then what am i truly upset about because if we had our best then maybe it's a different story so you know yeah, I just want to clarify also for the listeners that this applies specifically to the men's side of the Olympics. The women's Olympics teams send all their best players to it. So that's the more compelling. Like if you're watching for stars, that's where you want to watch. Not the, not really the men's side. But even then, it, the women's team is so dominant. It's kind of like, all right, can we get some like fresh blood in here? Because we got Megan Rampino in here for the 20th year in a row, it feels like. And it's kind of like, let's get some of the more young, talented uh, women in there because they do a great job with their women's league. Um and it's and it's like growing in Europe as well. They have their own version of the Champions League. So, I mean, that's always exciting for me. And I always enjoy the Women's World Cup as well. Um, it's good. It's it's a good aesthetic uh, to, to watch. It's it's legitimately great. And um, so, yeah. And obviously for the men's, that's different rules. So. Yeah, and in terms of the men's, Brazil won the gold, obviously, in Rio in 2016. They're back here. you think they can repeat? Do you think they have enough talent on the U23 squad to win this? It's, it's, it's kind of tough to say because it's such a weird spot for so many of these guys um, because of the season and, and how condensed it's been. You don't have a lot of guys that are, you know, top, top players. Carlson is is the guy for for Everton, um, Matthias Cunha as well. Those two guys are their forwards. Those guys are very highly sought after within Europe itself. Um, they play at pretty big clubs. I mean, I mean Everton isn't that big, but it's it's just a massive club like that. Martinelli as well. I mean, he's more of like a, a midfielder hybrid uh, type as well as a forward from Arsenal. There, in reality, it's just a lot of experience up front. And with young defenders, that's always probably the weak point for a lot of countries because defenders, just like in basketball, for example, they're not great from the get-go. The older they get, the better they are as defenders because defending is more about intelligence in this sport. It's not so much about physicality and, and you know, endurance. It's, it's all about positioning, um, being tactical and, and knowing where to be on the field the whole time. So if you're go- if you're young and you're never facing a guy like the level of Richarlson and and um, Matthias Cunha who who play in two of the top five leagues in the world, it's it's difficult to uh, to stop guys like that. So I mean, just for their attacking prowess alone, I you know I, they're they're one of the favorites, and and I think there's a great chance. But they have a difficult group. It's not an easy group. They probably have the toughest group. Yeah, absolutely. And the group that they're in right now, they are in Group D with Germany, Ivory Coast, mentioned four, and Saudi Arabia. So, I mean, if you think that's the toughest group of the four? I think so, personally, because Germany always does a great job with their youth as well. Um, 
And, and listen, I respect Ivory Coast and, and the talent that they have. I think they're one of the more underrated countries in the world in general. And again, I'm just going to be biased with Frank Kessie. Frank Kessie is the best midfielder that's going to this tournament. So when you have that on your team, it's just a totally different scenario when he's a guy that's locking up some of the best midfielders in the world and facing off against the likes of Ronaldo um, for, for years now. It's just that experience alone carries a lot of weight. And if that's one of the four teams in there, it just makes it difficult. But, uh, you know, you got to feel bad for German fans in a sense because they get the group of death in the Euros and they get the group of death in the Olympics. Yeah, I think one group that's also, I think, a little underrated, in my opinion, is Group A, Japan's group, because Japan, you know, is going to gun for this because they want to win in front of their home countries. Mm-hmm. And I know South Africa's not great, but Mexico tries very hard in, this, in the Olympics every year. They try and get medals. And France still has the pipeline of players from the same – is the country that won the World Cup in 2018. So that's not easy either. No, not, none of it's none of it's easy easier. Um, and, and the funny part about France is that their backup team is just as good as, like – some major tournament teams and it and it's pretty damn insane for that and in german youth there's just so much depth in in general um and i know i know we're talking about that group but japan as well japan really does produce when they produce great players they're really actually good and you know it's respectful and it's hard to because there's not a lot of people um and players that come out of asia like that so it's 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 rare when it happens. Career produ- produces uh, certain players like that as well. Um, and, and a lot of these countries play for pride, you know, because it's not just the Olympic aspect of it. It's also like it's one of the few times that your country and you'll be representing them on the biggest stage possible, you know, because there are more viewers than AFCON gets. Right. For example, with South America, it's the Olympics. It's still the biggest sporting event every four years that isn't called the World Cup. Um, so again, regardless if it's U23 or anything, people, these players are going to give their best no matter what. And that's what makes it difficult alone. Yeah, absolutely. And looking at these teams here, like who are maybe like three that Martina Puto is going to say, like, I'm going to try and make a point, check out some of their matches in, in this event. Um, I, I would say, I would say Honduras is one of them just to compare and contrast to where the USA youth was and see how they really could have done within this tournament itself. Um, I would, I would go again with Brazil. I'm very curious to see how those forwards work there. And then more of Spain because Spain was one of the more impressive teams within Euro 2020. I want to see if there's a young striker within that side that kind of can make a stamp on this Olympics. And then not only that, try and make a name for himself within the next 12 to 14 months to try and get to uh, to cater for the World Cup. And if he's able, if, if that player is able to do that, then that changes everything for that tournament because I think Spain becomes one of the favorites. Yeah, it does. And I think also for me, I think, like you said, I'm intrigued by France. As you mentioned, you said their backup squad is all as good as a lot of teams, like top teams. So we're going to see like how they approach the Olympics here and see how they can get out of that group. Yeah, I mean, it, it just really is like kind of fascinating to see how how these countries uh, approach this stuff. It's really just kind of, it's not an audition for the national team, but people remember it if that makes sense. Like they'll they'll remember that kind of performance you put in there. If there's like a decision for a final roster spot to get a call up for a team during an international break, and they're kind of like, okay, we're kind of making a decision between player A and player B. 
what do we know from player A and player B? Like, oh, player B is like having a great season. But it's like, yeah, but player A played better on the international spot and was like the key guy or one of the key guys in the Olympics. That is a very uh, big stage. So I, I think it's just all stuff like that. And, um, you know, there are some really good players that do play in this tournament. It, it's not always the big names that we see uh, currently. It's also, you know, players that will be future stars. And, and like we saw Messi uh, dominate um, in that stuff too. Yeah, and as you mentioned, the future stars, and obviously the Olympics is here, the late year because of COVID. Next year is the actual World Cup towards the end of the year in Qatar because of the weather situation. There's not, I think it's being played November, December, as opposed to its usual summer perch. So, like, any stars yeah. you could see playing here, you think end up being on World Cup rosters next year? Um, I mean, just the guys that I mentioned, Rick Carlson, uh, Cunha uh, for, for Brazil as well, can definitely make a run uh, within that. Uh, with Mexico, it just all depends on with like some of these teams like qualifying though, because qualifying has started for some of these regions, but it hasn't started for others. So it's really hard to say, like you expect Spain, Argentina, Brazil, Germany to all be there, France, um, most likely Japan, even, even Mexico to an extent. So really it's just a dominated by the USA and Mexico. Um, I'm not, I have to double check again with um, the Mexico uh, team with this to see if Diego Laganez is in there. And he was someone who absolutely dominated um, USA in that uh, Nations League match. Let's see if he got called up. Yeah, D- Diego Laganez, he plays for Real Betis in Spain. He's going to be there. That guy right now, I'm telling you, is is the most talented out of all the Mexican players. And he, I think, is you know one of those players that could make uh, a lot of noise come um, next year heading into the World Cup. So, um yeah, if, if it was anyone, he's definitely the one that caught my eye out of all those uh, guys. Yeah, it's easy to see what happens with them for sure. I do think it's going to be interesting for me to keep an eye on this tournament because I do think there's a lot of potential medal picks here. Like if you had to pick today, like who were your top contenders of the medals? It's it's difficult <clears throat> because you know you never see a lot of these. For me, I think I think Brazil um, is is the favorite in my opinion. I just. I just think there's just no excuse for the players that they have up front that they shouldn't win it and dominate almost every team that's here because there's no high profile defenders. There's not a lot of high profile midfielders that are going to be participating in this competition. For me, it's just, I think Brazil um, and the rest, I'll, I'll be honest with you, is a total crapshoot. You never know what could happen, but I think Brazil is a favorite for the gold, in my opinion. Yeah, I will also say, considering the format of this tournament and the fact that Group B is so much lighter than the rest of these guys, like, would you be shocked if one of them, like, managed to sneak through, like, based on the draw and get themselves into, like, the medal rounds? Oh, it, it, it can always happen, especially in knockout uh, soccer. Like, you you put yourself in a situation um, where it's just a one-goal difference, and all you need is that one opportunity. It's not like basketball where you're exchanging uh, baskets con- on a consistent basis. It's not like the NFL um, – where there's like four quarters and multiple opportunities to score like that almost all the time in, in various ways with soccer. It's like, sometimes you, you could dominate, you could get a ton of shots on goal. You could, you could be missing. You could be hitting them weekly towards the keeper. If you have great opportunities and the other team can simply just take advantage of the one shot that they have and you win one, nothing. So I never be shocked by, by stuff like that. Yeah. Cause I'm just saying for argument's sake here, let's say like, uh, South Korea wins Group B, and then they end up drawing Japan the second round. Like you're 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 putting all those guys into the medal round at least if that happens. And that and that itself is going to be 
dramatic simply because of the the location um, rivalry. There's going to, it's just going to be that it's just, you're going to have that happen. And, and then you never know because in matches like that, all bets are off. Like we, we know that like any, in a one game setting, anything can happen and any team can beat anyone in the sport. So don't be shocked if that happens. Yeah. You're right with that format. Yeah, because I'm looking because like that group is just stands out as a sore thumb for me. It's like, hey, like it's not as strong as the other groups, but I think they could be a lot of fun coming out of there because somebody could go on like a Cinderella run out of there. Yeah, you 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 legitimately never know. You legitimately never know. You're you're 100 right, and then that's really all there is to it. There's not much more analysis, kind of you know, needed for it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because again, so many times like people just think it's a shoe in, like the group of deaf teams in the Euro. All of them got eliminated in the first round. Yeah. And they were all favorites ahead of Italy prior to entering the tournament. So that like in itself lets you know what could actually go down. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to be interested in this because obviously I haven't paid much attention to international soccer because we haven't had a World Cup in a few years. The Euros were nice. Mm-hmm. It's nice to get back in that flow a little bit. And now you got this. And then, you know, there's a little break before you get the World Cup next year because I think that's going to be a little odd getting used to the fact that it's going to be played basically down the, during the holidays in America. Yeah, it's going to be odd. You know, we have our football over here. They're going to have a stoppage for the European leagues as well. And there's a lot of controversy surrounding that one and all the people who, you know, passed away trying to build all these stadiums and stuff like that. It's 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 a whole load of issues. Um, and in pretty much almost every time we have an international friendly now, it's going to be World Cup qualifiers because it has to be a quick turnaround. You get African Cup of Nations is going to be in January. They have that as well. Um, so that's even factored into when you go to the World Cup because not only are these guys playing in the middle of their season, some of them are going to the Olympics as well. As you can see, they also got to play in AFCON. And then if they qualify for the World Cup, they got to play for the World Cup. Like it's just not a lot of breaks. And, and that's unfortunately what happened with COVID and all that stuff. So again, it would have been just all spread out. So that's why it's all going to be very fascinating and, and anyone can really make a run. Yeah, it also feels weird that, like, in a way, the feet, the World Cup kind of benefits a little bit from the stoppies from COVID because, like, if this is a, on a typical calendar here, where was he coming up in, like, a June, you would have, like, to cram so many qualifiers into such a short period of time. It would be ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, there, there are certain, um, you know, um, regions that have started their World Cup qualifiers, like we mentioned, um, but but you're but you're right. I mean, like, they're, they're just going to have these issues, and that's – you know, that's what they wanted though. You know, you know what I mean? They're not going to push back that world cup. Um, they're going to just keep on having that at the same time. And, you know, teams are going to have to figure that out. And I think it's personally going to be a domino effect because you never know how players react towards their injuries. What's the recovery time? Like, like we're seeing it in major league baseball right now. We did have a 60 game season. We come back and look at all the injuries happening. Forget just the Mets itself, right? The Mariners have a ton of injuries as well. Um, we see guys going down pitchers-wise. You know, it's load management. You could play as much as you want in this sport, but at the end of the day, it's a lot of running, and you have to worry about lower leg injuries. And and if you don't take care of that properly, you can have some massive um, career-changing injuries. There's a lot that's involved in that. So, yeah, Your national soccer season will be definitely a lot of fun to watch the next couple of weeks. Martino, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I hope you follow social media. Keep up some of the stuff you're up to. Yeah, you just follow me on social media at Martino Puccio. Just, uh, just doing State of Play podcasts and um, writing for The Athletic. Uh, maybe I'll do something for the Gold Cup final or maybe write some stuff for the Olympics as well. Have to um, present some stuff to my bosses to see if they're uh, interested in any of that. Um, 
And yeah, just, just on Twitter at Martino Puccio, um, it's full Met season for me right now. So I'm fully, fully invested in that. I mean, I've always been, obviously, you know that. So it's, um, I'm, I'm excited now for the stretch. Can't, it's funny because I, I realized we blew a five, nothing lead on Sunday to the pirates. And I was just so happy about Italy. I didn't even notice or care about it. And now it's kind of sunk in with me. Like that's a terrible loss to have because we know how important every single game is. Yes, it is. They are still in first place as of recording. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank God. All right, Martino. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. No problem. All right, we are back here on the podcast talking Olympic baseball today. And if fun, return of baseball to the Olympics the first time since 2008. With me today, member of the baseball beat, Anthony Sarbelini is here. Anthony, how are you? I'm doing good, Mike. How about you? Doing pretty good. I have to say, I'm not usually a big Olympic baseball guy, but I got to say, I'm pumped that it's back. Yeah, I'm pumped that it's back too. You know, it's they always say that baseball was a dying sport. So it's it's definitely just good to see, you know, the sport get the uh, the recollection again back in the Olympics, especially you know because Japan just being such a big international uh, baseball powerhouse, it's, it's great. To, it's a great place to showcase everything. Yeah, and one thing I like about the Olympic baseball is that pretty much it's got all the regular baseball rules: no extra innings, like man on second base, no seven inning double headers, no three batter minimum. This is like your standard fair baseball. Yeah, I mean. As someone who, you know, is working in baseball right now and I God, I can't stand that I can't stand that extra inning rule where you the last out starts on second base. It's makes absolutely no sense. But like you said, it's good to see some good old fashioned baseball. Yeah. The one they do have one change to speed the game more on. There is a twelve second pitch clock in the Olympics. So I know the pitch clock has been bandied about in the minor leagues in the past. They're thinking about doing the big league. I think it'll be interesting to see how the pitch clock looks in Olympic baseball. Yeah, well, I mean, 12 seconds, I believe, you know, we've all talked about it. 12 seconds, you know, per pitch, no limits. You're going to shave off about what, maybe 15 minutes throughout the whole entire game? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to see, but at the same time, you know, your pitch clock could mean absolutely nothing if you have, you know, one team just absolutely crushing the ball for a half inning and, you know, all that. But. Like I said, it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting, you know, how this propels, you know, baseball moving forward in the majors and everything like that. Yeah, absolutely. And baseball, the way this works, there is a six-team field going to Tokyo for the Olympics, and they are divided into two groups of three. The USA did qualify for the 2020 Olympics. They are in one of the groups alongside Israel and South Korea. The other group is Japan, Mexico, and the Dominican Republic. The format is a little weird. Each team plays one group game so take against each other. So they play two games in the preliminary round. Dan, have you seen the bracket for this double elimination format? I have not. It is a very interesting. So I'm going to pull it up right now. So let me explain this to you a little bit. So everybody advances to the, to the knockout round. We have a very we have a double elimination, like college World Series style, with a couple of tweaks. Where first place mm-hmm. first, second place second, third place third. The loser of the third place game is out immediately. So, like, they don't make it to the, to the double elimination bracket. Everybody else, then, okay. then it proceeds as, like, your typical double elimination. So, you're going through, and the, the, the it's way towards the top seeds in the in the qualifying round. You go through double elimination, then 
The four that are left, the winner is obviously playing for the gold and the silver, third place game for the bronze. So a little convoluted. I put a graphic up here so you can see what's going on. But like, what do you think about this format? I don't know. It just sounds very confusing. It just doesn't make sense. How do you have, if you're going to have double elimination and then you're just going to have one game be a single elimination. Well, I think their I, <laughs> I think their idea is like, hey, like, if you finish in third in your group, you do not get extra chances. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I've really never been a fan of group play to begin with for some for things like this. You know, I almost kind of want to just have it be, you know, kind of NCAA basketball tournament esque. Yeah, yeah. Just, 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 just go. Yeah. Just have it like that. You know, the Olympics are the Olympics are a month. You know could span games out if you really wanted to do double elimination you could really you know do it like that have a loser's bracket or something like that but i don't know i think it's definitely something that if they continue to have baseball in the olympics you know they should look forward to for the next olympics look uh, look into it more in the next i think the problem the next is, olympics i think the problem is the field is too small i think there should have been eight teams yeah. in the field i think if eight it's eight it's much cleaner to do because when you have three group games then you can just do the like easy, it's much easier for a double elimination bracket. You don't have to kick somebody out immediately, make the math work. Oh, absolutely. They should have definitely had, like you said, eight teams. Yeah, because I think it's going to be interesting to see how this ends up playing out because the U.S., I mean, going in, you have a 50-50 chance at meddling, which is actually pretty nice. Yeah, I mean, coming off a World, uh, World Baseball Classic, you know, winning that a couple of years ago and then, you know, USA baseball has kind of always been, you know, up there, you know, may not be the powerhouse that USA basketball is, but, you know, Dominican Republic, Japan are always teams to watch, are always countries to watch out for. So it's good to be in the mix. Yeah. It's also interesting because this is not like Olympic basketball where you send the best of the best because that's in the middle of baseball season, not stopping baseball for a month to let them go, let the stars go play in the Olympics. So you're getting a mix of like prospects who are not on 40 man rosters and some vet, MLB vets who are not on teams right now. So let me give you some interesting names on the USA roster right now. I mean, some familiarity for people in the, in the New York area. Scott Casimir is on the Olympic roster. Dave Robertson, former Yankee reliever. Matt Prospect, Simeon Will Richardson, now in Toronto system. You have Todd Frazier, the pride of, of Towns River, New Jersey, on the infield. Tyler Austin's in the outfield. I mean, Mike Sosha is the manager. Some interesting names on there. Yeah, definitely, you know. Definitely interesting names. Definitely, you know, have the baseball pedigree. Yeah. Um. You know, you said Todd Frazier, but you know, former Yankee, former Met, former uh, most notably known with the Reds and everything. But you know, just just solid players. You know, it's a good thing too. I I, I do in a sense like that they just don't take all major league current major league baseball players. Now I do like to see you know some top prospects in there and everything. Just again, get them used to that big stage. You know, just showcase you know, everything that USA baseball has to offer. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see is they're in a group right now with Israel and South Korea. And I think it's going to be interesting. I think they have a good shot to finish top two in that group. Yeah. I, yeah. Just based off, you know, just the couple of lists that you've left, you know, there's still, there's still good key pitching in there. And then, you know, Todd Frazier's going to rally everybody because that's just what Todd Frazier does. <laughs> yeah. I think it'll be fun to see what happens to team USA. And I think, the the metal situation here, I think, obviously, it depends on how this bracket shakes out with all this. But I would think my top contenders are some combination of the Japan, U.S., Dominican Republic, and maybe South Korea sneaking in there in the back end. Yeah, I agree with that, especially uh, you know, 
Dominican Republic, Japan, U.S. I think those are the top three teams, and then we'll go. Everything we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, it's kind of always how it's been. It's kind of interesting because it's always kind of been those three teams that just hover. Yeah, usually Cuba's in there too. They not qualify the Olympics this year though. Yeah, I, I did forget about Cuba too, which is kind of interesting that they didn't qualify because you look at Cuba and the Dominican Republic; those are the two kind of international like powerhouses, especially especially from you know at least where Major League Baseball grabs the majority of their players from Latin America. Yeah, because it's weird. You look at this field. I mean, I guess Israel counts as the European representative, but like you have no African representation in the, in the Olympic baseball field. You have like two from Asia with the host country Japan. You have the rest are all like North American. Yeah, I definitely think they need to. I know you brought it up. You know, if you're going to keep this pool play thing and everything, you know, bring eight teams, but you got to qualify. You know, it's the Olympics, it's the world games. It's not yeah. just let's pick and choose from here. But I understand teams don't qualify and everything. But yes, I think there needs to be, you know, I want to showcase, you know, the best baseball players in the world. Yeah, I don't know if there's also a COVID issue where maybe they shrunk the field a little bit because, like, I know Austra- right. Australia was in the qualifiers, had to pull out because of cra- travel restrictions and stuff like that. I wonder, like, if in 2024 over in Paris, if we have a more diverse field of baseball teams. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. You know, again, this is quite the uh, quite an Olympic first. I mean, we just saw that a couple of weeks ago. They were allowing fans, and then something came out a couple of days ago that all oh, now fans aren't allowed because of the new the new uh, the new variant. But you know, hopefully, you know, the next Olympics in twenty twenty four, you know, things return to normal. You know, hopefully, you know, get more teams, less restrictions, and everything, and hopefully, we're back to you know completely normal. I mean, if we're still doing this in twenty twenty four, we've had a lot of things go wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> Hey, we're lucky they're having Olympics again. Whether you think they share or not, it's up for debate, but they are doing it. They're not giving up TV money. It'll be fun to watch. And I will say, it's going to be weird trying to find what times these games are on because I'm telling every segment here, NBCSports.com, find your Olympic schedule because the time zone differential here for the East Coast is no joke. Yeah. Oh, boy. You you got to be watching USA Baseball 3 in the morning if you're a dedicated USA Baseball fan. Oh yeah, hey, I've known people who have woken up for games and stuff like that, but uh I'll uh if I don't record it, I'll probably watch the highlights or something or just pull it up on my phone or something. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there'll also be take delays. They'll probably like air some of these games at like, you know, like noon Eastern or something like that. So like No, oh, yeah, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, and thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, people follow on social media, keep up some of the stuff you're up to. Uh, yeah, just check me out on Instagram at Sorbellini Photos, S-O-R-B-E-L-L-I-N-I. Just uh, just working right now with the Yankees High affiliate, the Hudson Valley Renegades, serving as our team photographer and just, you know, just enjoying good prospect baseball at A. Absolutely. And thanks all the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. All right, we are back here on our Olympic preview show here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. We're talking some golf today, and as we do with golf, we bring our golf guy with us again. Our go- golf industry professional works with the PGA Tour. Dan Martini is here. Dan, how are you? Doing great. Um, I believe this is episode 200, so I want to say at least congrats. If that's Is that the case? That is the case. That is number 200. You know, Mike, when you started this thing a couple of years ago, it's um, – 
you know, this was just going to be a little thing for you. And it's, it's amazing how you've been able to keep that up and uh, a big congrats to you for constantly putting out great content. So I'm just happy to be a very small percentage of it. Yeah. Well, you're a part of the, of the success story here. So let's get to the golf here. I'm excited to talk Olympic golf because this is a new thing relatively. I mean, it came back in 2016 and then the Olympics prior that's about the 1920s. So how interesting is it for you to see the Olympic golf coming to Japan this time? It's going to be really interesting. Um, I was actually just personally, I was in Japan right before the pandemic started. So I got to really experience the culture and um, they love golf. Um, the Japanese are very, very proud. Uh, we all saw it with Hideki Matsuyama winning the Masters. That it was a huge, huge moment for the country. The only thing that's really difficult right now is, is something we can get into a little bit is obviously they declared another state of emergency. So COVID has made a second comeback um, and they, it, it's going to be really difficult uh, to keep the bubble. And, um, you know, we're in a position right now where it's going to be uh, weird to watch a lot of Olympic sports without any spectators. So um, it, it's going to make it a little difficult, but at least we're still getting really competitive golf. And it's always fun when you get, um, you know, the team aspect of golf is what people love. People love seeing the Ryder Cup. They love seeing the President's Cup. Um, there are a lot of, uh, even the Zurich when they get to play as teams. So anytime you get that kind of camaraderie and you get to represent your country and you get a little bit of golf mixed in, sign you up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned the COVID angle. Obviously, we know that Japan declared a state of emergency because of the COVID situation over there. And in a way, I mean, we can have, we're not going to debate whether or not they sh the Olympics should be held. That's not that's about way above our pay grade. But in terms of what it is for the golfers, obviously, now they got to deal with basically the COVID restrictions that they were dealing with at the start of 2020, the PGA Tour came back. So that's an interesting adjustment. Some of these guys have to go back to the more restrictive, oh, mask wearing all the time and you got to track where you're going. That's something that they feel they've been used to as much recently compared to where it was last year. Very much so. But, and, and that's something that we can absolutely, you know, kind of look at because I'm sure those of you who are out there, when you're watching the qualifications to get to, to make the Olympic team in golf, um, it's very interesting to me because several of the top qualified players actually won't be attending and participating in the event. It's still a fantastic field uh, of 60 players, but there are several who looked at what's going on over there and, and their own personal decisions decided to withdraw from the event. Um, you know, world number one, oh, number two right now, Dustin Johnson, um, it will not be participating in the event, even though he qualified, uh, Tyrell Hatton and a few others. There's going to be a lot of restrictions on where you go, what you do. Um, you know, it, it's it's a shame that, that you know, even a year later, uh, postponing the event, it's still going to be not what we would love to see, right? We would love to see a ton of fans, um, all the different nations represented, not even on the course, but also in, in the spectator galleries um, and a really exciting finish. But unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get that again this year. But the quality of the participants is still absolutely there. Um, but obviously, it's just a little bit, a little bit unfortunate that that this has all come back, and there's going to be a lot of exactly what you meant, which is keeping to the bubble, come in, focus on the golf, great competition, and then get back every keep everybody safe on the way out. Yeah, and you mentioned the qualification. I think I want to point out here this thing because obviously this is not as simple as usual. PJ Tour, like hey, top like hundred get in or whatever. It's 
You can only have four from one country be there. So obviously a lot of American golfers did not make the cut. They only have four in there. So it's a different looking field than you usually get. So it's, it is complicated. It's a little complicated. So it's the top 60 in the official world golf rankings. So that's very different from those that just watch the PGA tour where we deal mostly with FedEx cup points. That's kind of what you constantly hear is FedEx cup. So the official golf world rankings are a combination of PGA tour events, but also several other qualifying events, co-sanctioned events around the world on other tours. So to get to that number, um, you know, you're, you're obviously in a position where the, I believe the qualifications were, if you are in the top 15 in the official world golf rankings, okay, country permitting you can only have four as a max if you look at the top 15 um official you know in the world golf rankings believe it or not the united states has 10 players in the top 15 so somebody like a patrick cantlay or a um webb simpson or uh, even harris english right now who's surged way up with with you know playing amazing the last couple months on the pga tour they will not be able to play in the event because obviously you've got Colin Morikawa, Bryson DeChambeau, uh, Justin Thomas, and Xander Shoffley, who are all three, four, five, and six. So, you know, it's amazing that, you know, the U.S. just right now has an incredible number of of top players, um, and and that's a cumulative effect of points gathered from around the world. And um, so the U.S. will be represented with four players in the 60 field. There's... um, I believe they're the only ones with four. Uh, if you look at just kind of how it all broke down uh, with, with various countries coming out, but I'm pretty sure that, that the U.S. has the, the, the major advantage having four players, which is when we get to picks, um, I won't feel too bad about uh, having a majority um, come from the U.S. So, uh, but there are some amazing other players in the field, uh, big names that you'll recognize, and also some young guys who... Uh, have played really well on the PGA Tour uh, recently too. So, you know, you're going to get your classic, you're going to get Francisco Malinari, he's going to represent Italy, you're going to have Mark Leishman and Cameron Smith representing Australia. Um, I I believe you're going to have Tommy Fleetwood and and Paul Casey representing uh, Great Britain. Rory McIlroy will be there. Uh, John Rahm will be there, I believe. Um, Sergio Garcia was one of the names that pulled out uh, but, you know, you're still talking between, you know, Bryson, Rory, uh, John Rahm. You're talking about guys that these are these are mega stars. So if you're looking for a fun event to watch, definitely continue to, to look into this. Justin Thomas, you know, I mean, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. This is a super competitive field. Some of the deeper cut players, you know, for those that are, have been watching, Garrett Higo is going to be in the event. He's been playing phenomenal as, as a um, uh there's there's really uh, a quite quite the field uh and once again it it's a team event it's you're representing your country so guys are gonna take a lot of pride in that and it's gonna be super super competitive yeah it's funny let's look at the field right now i was looking at it because i'm looking to see i don't see any of the medalists in the last olympics which was i believe i'm looking i have it up here right now it was justin rose won the gold henrik stenson won the silver and matt kuchar won the bronze so interesting you got three new medals guaranteed yeah, it's going to be fun because uh, unfortunately for those guys, that none of them did qualify this time around. Um, and that means that everybody's going to be coming out looking for an opportunity. Uh, and, you know, we know very little about the course. We know very little about, you know, in, in terms of just um, 
these guys that will be in it. I think that if several of them were in the past Olympics, but you know, we're going to get, we also have a bunch of young guns and a bunch of new people that, that are getting opportunities right now. And they're all playing phenomenal golf. So picking um, your gold, silver, and bronze is going to be really tough. Um, just, just so everybody knows it's, it's basically, it's going to be your cumulative score, individual score, stroke play score over four rounds. So, um, you know, basically you're going to have to come out, even though you're playing as a team, you're still playing as an individual. So, you know, there is that aspect. When I said team aspect to it, you're representing your country. So, um, obviously it would be amazing if, you know, all four Americans went out and, you know, finished one through four, but, um, you know, likely there's going to be some stiff competition from around the world. You mentioned the course, and obviously we're not paying much attention to Japanese country clubs around here. So what, what do you know about this course that they're playing at? Well, and that's the thing, uh, you know, it's, it's, I believe it's called, it's called Kasumi Gaseki, uh, country club. Uh, we, we know that the course back in 2016 was renovated by Tom Fazio, which a lot of people in the U.S. know a Tom Fazio course. I mean, he's, you know, world renowned for his designs and abilities to renovate courses. I know that this country club, um, when, when we talk about um, golf in Japan, um, the Zozo Championship is a PGA Tour event that's happened over there, um, you know, for the last couple of years now. And, um, the, the course style setup is usually because of the uh, weather that they incur and the design of the courses, they're usually designed with multiple greens. So if one green took a lot of damage, each hole would have an alternative green setup. When Fazio went over to set up for the 2020 Olympics, from what I've read and understand, talking to the, the folks in my department that are going over there as well to help Team USA, um, they redesigned it in a way where it really will be singularly focused. It's designed for a one green traditional setup. We're hearing that there was a considerable amount of rain. So the greens will potentially play a little slower, which means lower scores, more birdies, more exciting finishes. Um, the course was elongated. So basically this course was, uh, I think it's well over 7,000 yards now from the pro tees. So I know I heard that there's a really, really long par four uh, I think it's number nine, not eight or number nine. So something really challenging right before the turn. And then there is a very, very uh, approachable low scoring number 17. They say, if you're going to watch two holes, number nine and 17 will be the ones to kind of hone in on. So that's what we know about, about the course so far. But once again, we've never seen this course um, or at least in our lifetime, I believe it was played several, several decades ago. So um, in the Olympics before uh, golf was removed from the Olympics. And, uh, but now we're excited to have it back. So this should be really cool. Um, the viewing timeframes, I'm still trying to get wrap my head around, you know, when we're going to be able to see the actual golf live versus taped or the results come in. That's just natural. Anytime we have an event overseas, but, um, you know, obviously we'll be rooting on all of our, our players that are representing their countries. So. Yeah, as far as the viewing times, I tell everybody on the podcast, everybody talks to, just go to NBCSports.com. They have a whole viewing schedule up there. You'll have a better idea of when's on when. It's going to be very confusing with the time shift, especially if you're in the Eastern time zone. Because I know, I mean, we'll try and keep track of that basketball schedule because the USA basketball is going to be played at such odd times for like us. Like, we're just sitting here like, 
oh, like midnight start time, okay, or eight in the morning, okay. Just like there's got to get used to things like that. It's, it could be like four a.m. to six a.m. is going to be when the game is on, right? Yeah. So I, I believe it's a nine-hour time difference. Um, could be up. I don't know, maybe nine, ten, eleven. I, it's a lot. So um, I'm not exactly sure, but yeah, I'll definitely be checking out NBCSports.com. Yeah, for sure. And some of the big names here will be fun. Obviously, said, there's some big star power here. Obviously, John Rahm coming off his win at the U.S. Open. Now, he's, I think, be one of the big favorites here. I think the big storyline here, though, for the fans in Japan, even though they're not be able to go, is Deki Matsuyama, who obviously, recording for the Open Championship, he had to skip that. He's a positive COVID test, and the rules going to the U.K. are stricter than the PGA Tour's rules. So, the kind of pressure that he's under here to try and meddle in, in the Olympics in his home country. A very uh, absolutely uh this would be to top off and out now he doesn't have as much pressure winning the masters was obviously a huge thing for him um but once again here's another opportunity where he's wearing his flag and and he takes a lot of pride in in you know being the top japanese golfer and i think that uh you know currently he's sitting um 18th in the official world golf rankings and um you know these he's right up there you know if 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 I wasn't going to be biased towards America, the USA team, just because I'm, I'm a bit of a homer on that front, um, I would absolutely say that Hideki is probably one of the stiffest competitions for them in terms of meddling. He's going to come out and there's, there's, I really don't see a scenario where he doesn't come out completely prepared and on his game and really focused. Yeah, for sure. I think it's also going to be interesting to see like some of these bigger names here. Obviously John Rahm and no offense to Dustin Johnson, they didn't get to go, but Getting Bryce in the Olympics is a boon for the Olympics because he's going to be a lot of fun on that course. Absolutely, I I think that um, I think that Br- Bryson is definitely the wild card here, right? He always is. You know, Xander Shoffley's game is obviously super consistent. Colin Morikawa, fantastic iron play and putting, um, and Justin Thomas, consistency, cool under pressure can can go low when no one expects him to if he's even in slightly in contention on saturday by sunday he's going to be absolutely um you know he can run away he can go he can be the low score in the last round and that's what you're looking for in a pick but bryson is the guy if he comes out and he has a good first and second round Ooh, it's going to be hard to, especially since he he loves that, or at least my interpretation of him is that he would love nothing more than come back to bring a gold medal with everything that's gone on this year for him and, and the success that he's had on and off the course, but to wear a gold medal and bring that back and with his social following and everything that he's got going on, like, can't you just see that, you know, it's almost like Captain America, right? And um it would be a very cool thing for him um, and for the golfing world, especially those that have eyes really fixated on Bryson lately. Yeah, I guess to picture him like starting a feud with uh, Kepka again on Twitter, just flashing the medal in his face every time he goes to the event. I get to see that him having fun with that. You said that, not me. Um, I, I I think that he uh, he will he will definitely enjoy it if he's able to get a medal for sure. You're right. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of the medals here, like give me some picks here. Who are some guys they could could medal? Like picking the obviously ridiculously hard because these are 60 degrees golfers in the world. So like give me some guys you think Correct. could land on the podium. Yeah. So so just kind of looking through the list here, um, you know, guys that that just kind of jump off the page for me. Um, you know, I. I 
it's hard for me not to pick one of the Australians because they, every time that there's an international, especially a guy like Cam Smith, um, he gets so up for these events. I don't know if those of you remember the President's Cup um, from a couple of years ago. He was the one that gave Justin Thomas and, and Tiger those, he pushed them to the absolute brink. Um, and he is a fiery character. He's almost like a, um, it's like a younger, Ian Poulter-ish type when it, and he's got a great mustache and a great flow. Um, he, Cam Smith is a guy I have my eye on as being, if he gets off to a good start as well, I could see him going bronze silver. Um, obviously John Rahm, he's playing just phenomenal golf. Um, he's, it would, it would be hard for me not to say that he will be in the mix, especially with the way that this course could potentially be set up, which is if his driver is even remotely near the fairway and he's putting in the, and the greens are slow, he's a guy who makes birdies. Oh my God. He can just go, go off. Rory, once again, no idea on what kind of game Rory's going to bring out there. Um, you know, what what can what can I say about Roy McElroy that hasn't been said a million times by other people? If he's in the field, if he's healthy, he's always got a chance to win. Um, I guess probably some of the other just kind of deeper cuts. Um, you know, I look at a guy like Joaquin Neiman. Um, I like a guy potentially, I, I said this earlier, Garrick Higo is playing amazing right now. Uh, he's a super, super young guy and just really, really impressive. Um, I, I just like his game. Um, I could see maybe somebody like a, it gets tough after, after those first few that I've named here, I, I, I have to continue to say that I think the Americans are going to do extremely well. Um, I think that Justin Thomas and Bryson both, and, and nothing against Morikawa or, or Shoffley. I just, I just see them on this elite world stage wanting to rise to the occasion, you know, at that next level. So, um, but why not? Why couldn't Xander win the gold? He could easily could. Colin Morikawa easily win the gold. Um, they've all, you know, I, they're all have won multiple PGA tour events, major championships. We've all know their track record. It's going to be a lot of fun and it's really hard to pick. Yeah. I think for, if I was to pick, I'm not keep my, I don't watch it. And near this golf as you do. I feel like Matsuyama has a, I put like him a chance to make the podium. Cause I feel like he's at least played the course before. I'm like most of these guys. So I feel like that's got to give him a leg up there. I'm going to yeah. say also Rom. I feel like, I feel like you get somebody off, like kind of, I think off the board here a little bit. I'd say either like somebody who we didn't mention a lot, like, I feel like Victor Hovland gets no play. I feel like he's somebody who can make do well here. Maybe Siwoo Kim again. Probably somebody at least have passing up familiar at the course. So you know, you know who could who could who's sneaky good uh, is a guy Mackenzie Hughes yeah. from Canada. He's a guy that um, has been on a lot of leaderboards and uh, especially playing particularly well this season. And he's a guy that won't have a ton of pressure on him. He's coming in and and once again he's had a really good year. He's super, super sneaky. Um, you know, it, it would be hard for me not to go down. And I, I kind of look at some of the uh, the deeper cuts as well here. And, and there's phenomenal players across the board. Um, you know, even Jonathan Vegas has been playing well. Um, you look at somebody like a um, uh, CT Pan is obviously a phenomenal player. Um, my guy, Guido Migliozzi, uh, is also representing Italy. So, I mean, the list is fantastic. Um, you know, everybody single, there's, there's just going to be 
it's going to have to come down to course style and, it, and, and who's going to feel the pressure and the weight of representing their country and who's going to come out and just try to go low for four rounds. So the people that can handle that, that stage, it's not the course. It's not going to be come down to this course is incredibly difficult. It sounds like it's set up to go low. Um, it's going to come down to who wants to win that gold medal. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely fun to watch, Dan. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, you follow on social media, you have some of the stuff you're up to. Sure, but do you want to know who I've got? Gold, silver, bronze, or or we're gonna keep that deep cut? Well, I think we I think you gave the list of who you had as medal candidates before. So if you want to give the quick pick here for gold, silver, bronze, who you got? I've got Justin Thomas as the gold, I got John Rahm as silver, and I've got Cam Smith with the bronze. There you so have it. Those are my three. Um, you can follow me at Out of Town Fan Pod on Twitter, and I'll be definitely uh, trying to track and and post along with the different time frames and, and the practice and, and all of that stuff. So um, we'll see. This should be a lot of fun, and uh, it's going to be a crazy next couple weeks. It should be also some very long nights for you, and you have to keep track of what's going on across the pond. It's it's definitely it's it's going to be a, a, a bit of a battle just to wake up and try to figure out, OK, what did I miss? What's going on? Who's doing what? What, what happened here? And um, I just I really, really hope that um, everything goes smoothly over there and that every every player that comes into the field gets in safely and out safely. So it's just a shame what's happening in the country. But the good news is it's still on and we get to watch some amazing sports. It's been a long time. And. I'm just craving the Olympics. I'm craving Olympics. I'm cra- craving FIFA. I, w- I want it all. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. But it, uh, I hope everybody else that's watching uh, and, um, and listening in on this uh, gets a chance to see it too. All right, Dan. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. All right, we are back here on the Just End of Suffering podcast. Here we are bouncing around the Olympics with Olympic basketball. Join today, talk some Olympic hoops. Uh, my good buddy Nick Freyetta is here. Nick, how are you? Doing well. Um, excited. You know, I love, I'm one of the few. I love Olympic basketball. Yeah, I know. You're a big NBA guy as well. So it's nice, it's nice to have go right from these finals, which have been up and down to Olympic basketball. Yeah, I mean... At the time of recording, we're looking at gate the night of game four. I think we're going to end up with a tied series. So all in all, it's actually a good series. It's just not a lot of interest, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think the thing that's interesting here with uh, this is obviously we're American based. We're looking at Team USA and they've had their fun right now in the qualify and the exhibition. It's not been too easy for them. No, but I think it's fine. I think I don't think they're trying at all. I, I, I think they're missing people, obviously. And I think they'll be completely fine. Yeah, for people who aren't aware where we're recording in this, they played three exhibition games. They lost to Nigeria, which was a shock because the last time they played Nigeria internationally, they won by about 60 points. They lost to Australia, and they bounced back, and they beat Argentina about 25. So see that the ship's right here at the same time. But do you put any stock in these losses? Do you think there's more guys that's not having the switch turned all the way? Uh, yeah, I don't have any. I, I don't think it matters at all. Yeah, I really don't like when Kevin Durant is your highest leading scorer at 17 points in the first game. Like it, it, it's not a matter of we're not good enough to win the gold here. I mean, come on. Yeah, I think the thing that's interesting to me is more like 
I want to see this group play with more intensity on the defensive end. I think that was the issue against Nigeria, especially because they get up at 16 threes. Again, good shooting night from Nigeria, but like U.S. is more capable defender. Like, granted, a couple of them are not there yet, but still. I don't think they're going to see much defense out of them at all. I think, I mean, except for these big games against some of the bigger teams that we'll get into, but I don't think you're going to see much defense from them. I think they're going to just cruise and win the games and hopefully be up by double digits and they don't have to play defense. Yeah, I think it's also interesting that we had like these two losses and we had the change in coach finally because my coach Shashevsky did the last two Olympics. Now Greg Popovich is doing it and it just show you that level of dominance that Coach K can shoot with this team is not easy to do. It's not, and it's going to be, well, it is weird already, but it's really going to be weird when this thing officially starts with no Coach K and that going, and that, and that going forward with Duke, too. It's just, that's crazy. I mean, you know, as long as we've been alive, Coach K, you know? Yeah. And it, that's to me, he looks like he's like, I mean, he's an older guy. Yeah. You don't look at though. It looks a lot younger than he is. Yeah, he absolutely does. And looking at this USA roster, I mean, when you saw the mix here, I mean, when I saw the final 12, list of 12 guys, I'm like, this doesn't feel as good as some of these other teams we've had in recent years, whether it's 2012, the Redeem team, 16, when you had Duran, Carmelo be the leaders here. I mean, I know there's good, a lot of good NBA players on it. It's, we're never going to have a good team of 12. I feel like we think it's sort of like the B-plus squad we're rolling out there, opposed to some of like the A-pluses they roll out in recent, recent years. Yeah, this is a good team. It's not fantastic, but they have a good team. And they have some of the young stars in this, in this league, like Tatum and Booker. Like, those guys are, you know, just as good as anyone, really. And it's exciting that they're on the team. And, you know, I guess now you have, I guess, Durant is your veteran leader. Yeah, and that roster has also been exposable because, again, you don't have the three guys in the finals because you have Devin Booker, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday all playing in the finals, and they're going to be coming over pretty much as soon as the series is over. So might not see much of them early in the qualifying round, so it'll be interesting to see what the trend is like for them, basically coming right off the finals right into the Olympics. I think it's going to help them a lot. I yeah. think a lot, of, a, lot of these, a lot of this is rhythm-based, and these guys are going to be right on it. I mean, if it goes to seven, it's a hard-fought series, and that might be something, you know, where maybe they're a little tired, but they get enough They get enough rest, like, honestly. But between how long Phoenix had to wait before they got their finals game, like, they're rested. Like, it's not a matter of these guys are going to be fatigued. As long as they win, whoever wins the series in six games or five games, whatever it is, even if it's seven, honestly, they'll be fine, and they're going to make a huge impact. Yeah, I think they are. I'm excited to see here what's going on with this team. And I think the star power thing is an interesting question because I mean, you still have Durant, you have Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, Draymond Green's on this team. There's a lot of big names, but like the biggest ones are not there. So it'll be fascinating to see how this group sort of like get captures the hearts of the Americans. Yeah, you know, I would have made a small change to this roster where I would have added one more. I mean, it's really up to the players, obviously. Like, you know, if LeBron James wanted to play, he'd be here. But I, I think it's a huge mistake not having Chris Paul on the roster. But again, that's his decision. Probably. I don't know exactly why he's not there. Probably his decision, but uh, we've seen it the firsthand this season. Devin Booker's a completely different player because Chris Paul's there. Yeah. At the same time though, Chris Paul is getting up there in age. He's been away from his family for a while. He, cause remember his family's based in LA. He's in Phoenix. Now he's playing the final. I can't understand yeah, why I said, you know, I'm, I'm sure go it's his, I'm sure it's his decision. Yeah. Especially now in the situation where they're going out of season, the pandemic, where you can't even bring anybody with you. You're just basically going there by yourself and you can't even have like the typical Olympic experience that you normally would. Yeah, so pretty nuts to say. They don't have one seven footer on this team. Durant's their tallest player. He's the only player who's he's the only player that's even six ten. 
Yeah, at the same time, it's more of the mo- it's more of the modern game, also the European game play way too. You don't really have these big seven foot two guys clogging the painting where you have a lot of these athletic six nine, six ten guys who can move all, all over the court. Yeah. Which- yeah, it's interesting to see how much the game has grown. But there are still a decent amount of those guys. I mean, Embiid, he can't play here though, right? Yeah, you got yeah, he can't play here. You, you, no. Nikola Jokic so, is not is not an American citizen, so he's not playing on. Right, a, yeah. these bigger guys are not around here. I'm sure if we, if I'm sure if we sit here for a while, we could think of someone who could have been a seven footer on this team. But I'm not, you know, not going to sit here all day. No, and I think the thing that's interesting to me is like looking around here. I mean, seeing clearly for the losses with Nigeria and Australia that the level of play around the world has definitely gotten better. And this is something that the U.S. always has to deal with: is the fact that. These other countries have these national teams. They're playing together for years. They all know each other. And all their interesting. Where we just grab a bunch of stars, throw them in a training camp for three weeks, say, hey, you're a team now. Go win the gold. So I think it's interesting to see how much that gap has shrunk. It has. It has. a lot of the, And you're seeing a lot more European firepower in the NBA. You've seen it for a while. You've seen a ton of good European players in the NBA. But now I think, in my personal opinion, you have one of the best players in the league is, is a European player now is Luka. And and that's just it's interesting to see. You saw it with Dirk, but when Dirk played, there were so many good players. When yeah. Dirk was in his in his prime, you still had Kobe there. LeBron was as good as pretty much as good as he is now. You had D Wade and Shaq and Garnett. There were so many good players. Now, I don't think it's crazy to say Luka Doncic is a top four player in the NBA. No, it's definitely not crazy. And speaking of Luka, he's going to be there. So, like, what are some of these teams that you think could give the U.S. issues? I think two teams you're going to look out for are Spain and France. France always poses a threat. They always do. They have a lot of good a lot of good NBA players, not like fantastic ones like Nick Batum and Rudy Gobert. Like there's a, there's a bunch of good players on that team. And then Spain, Spain's kind of like what you said, how like you said the USA team, it's a bunch of stars from a training camp. You're a team now. Spain has the same thing, except it's the same guys all the time. It's the Gasol brothers. It's Ricky Rubio's. These guys have been together for like 12 years now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that's definitely scary. France in the U.S. is real. I mean, they play the first game, I think, on July 25th. Yep. So that's going to be interesting to start to test the U.S. right away. Yeah, I, I like the Spain team a lot because of the – well, I don't know. I mean, we've seen it in the. I want to say because of the Gasol brothers, but we've seen the. We, we saw Mark you know, Powell's been out of the league for a little, little while now, and Mark Gasol was on the Lakers. I guess, yeah, Lakers last season, and he was a bench player. So I maybe mean, they're not as talented as they were, but they've been playing together for a long, a long time, and that could help, especially especially against guys like Devin Booker or let's say Drew Holiday, who's going to be handling the ball a lot of the time. He's been playing up until probably at the this weekend at the least with all these guys. And now all of a sudden he's with new guys. It's kind of you know that's one thing for the point guard at least. Where like his game is going to change a lot. Like what Bam does down in the post is really not going to change. But what Drew Holiday is going to do is going to change. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know what you mean. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the roster for France right now. As you mentioned a lot of really Rudy Gobert is the big straw, but you have like Nicholas Batum, Frank Nilakina for Nick fans. There's a lot of NBA experienced guys in that roster. You know who I'm curious as to where he is? Where's Boris Diaw? He might age out. Yeah, he probably did. He's 39 years old now, but I remember Boris Diaw was the staple on that France team. Always. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going down to the Spain roster right now. You mentioned here, you got some interesting, I see Marcus Gasol, uh, Nikola Miritich, Ricky Rubio, Sergio Rodriguez, Serge Ibaka's on that team, Willie Hernan Gomez. They have a lot of NBA experience. Is Pau not on that team? I read that he was. I think he is like a reserve on that team. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's got to be, I don't know. He's got to be in his mid-40s by now, I'd say. Yeah, another interesting guy that's on the roster. I don't know how much play he's going to get. Like Usman Garuba, the guy who's in the NBA draft this year. I might be thinking to see him like get some run there if they, get, if they get deep in these games and blow somebody out. That's cool that he's in there because I remember in 2012 when the Olympic team had Anthony Davis. It kind of reminds me of the same thing. Yeah, it was a little bit of a throw. Like, then they brought the co- when Christian Leitner was on the dream team. Like Anthony Davis is the big college yeah, kid coming out. Right. So, yeah, that was that's got to be the coolest thing for Anthony Davis to be like, I was on that team, which is arguably the best Olympic team, probably a top three Olympic team ever, you know? Yeah. It's just pretty, it's just crazy to think about because I'm looking at like some of these other teams on the board he here. He was what, 19? He was 19. 19, 18, maybe? Yeah. He was probably 19. I think Anthony Davis' birthday is in March. So he was 19 at the time. Yeah, that's pretty that's nuts. Insane. As I was curious, look at the, at the Japanese rosters. Nobody I've ever heard of, so they're. I think they're no. getting bounced pretty quick. And then you you have to look out for Luca. Yeah, Luca. You have to look. He he can run a team by himself. Yeah, yeah. That Luca's it. Luca should get out of that group. Has a chance to get out of that group if he can beat Argentina there, because I think Spain's probably winning that group. Yeah, and Luca was announced today as the cover of NBA Two K Twenty Two. Yeah, him. I believe Candice Parker, the first woman to be on the cover of an NBA video game. Yeah, I'm a little confused on that. I don't know how to understand why they have like six covers for the game. I thought you just had one, but well, I guess there's different versions. I don't really know. I know one's a GameStop exclusive. They're just trying more ways to market the game. I, I'm assuming that hers is the GameStop exclusive. I believe so, yes. Because he's the main cover, and then there's the Legends edition with Kareem and Dirk and Durant. Yeah, that's interesting. They, they, they A lot of cover athletes, you know, like Madden, and MLB, it seems like NHL or whatever. They just usually have a guy, and that's it. Yeah. A little weird there's so many it is a little weird let's let's go ahead let's make some metal picks do you think the u.s wins the gold i do yeah i do too i think it's gonna be tougher than usual i think they get there i want to go on a limb here i'm gonna make a bold a bold prediction that the u.s will win the gold and they will cover every single spread yeah which that one's bold because a lot of people are not going to take that right now if they cover every spread yeah i don't know i i think they're completely fine i think they're toying around and getting used to things, and they'll be completely fine. Yeah, who would your other medalists be then? Would you go with the Spain-France duo, some combination? Yeah, I would. I, mean, I wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me at all if if Luca snuck his way in there. I don't even refer to. I don't even refer to them as the country because it's just Luca. Yeah, the one I think could That's be it. a sleeper, and we just saw them play the U.S. in the exhibition. I think Australia, even without uh ben simmons who skipped out on the olympics here they have a lot of talented players they have del Badova down there dante exum joe green and josh green joe Ingles. they got bodies they do <clears throat> i think their leader is patty mills but yeah. they play well uh, um funny how you said you know ben simmons and i feel like they got a lot better because of that yeah they, that's, that's that's been the joke recently with him with him is i don't know what's going on with him i'm interested to see where he plays next year yeah, I think the biggest spread of the first round will be USA Iran. That will probably be the biggest spread of the round of the qualifying round. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know many Iranian basketball players. Not many. No, I'm looking at the I'm gonna look at the Iran roster. Was anybody I've ever heard of? I don't. I'm assuming not. No one I've ever heard of here. Yeah, but, you know, to your to your point earlier though, 
I would assume we could be wrong. I don't follow the basketball scene in Iran, but it's possible that these guys have been playing together for years. You know, you know that that could help. That certainly could. I think the talent gap be too much to overcome for the U.S. Oh, well, Iran, of course, but I'm talking yeah. about some of the other teams that have been playing together for so long. That could definitely play a factor. Absolutely. And Nick, I want to thank you for taking talk, take time to talk some some basketball here, Olympic basketball. Let's let's talk some Marvel. I know you had some seen some of the Marvel stuff lately. I've been trying to catch up. So you want to take a minute and do that? Um, can I say no? Uh, it's up to you. Of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. Okay, I was say I had to go to Plan B here if we were not going to do Marvel. I was just rolling rant for another twenty minutes, but since you're here, we'll have some fun with it. All right, we are back here. Nick Fry is still here talking some Marvel here, and we had a big week in Marvel. We had Black Widow come out last Friday. You saw it in the theaters. I had to do the Disney Plus method because I was so busy, so I just wanted to make sure I had time to sit down for two hours and watch it. And the Loki finale came out today on day of recording. So before we get into both, which one did you enjoy better? Um, I enjoyed the movie more. I was actually the opposite. I enjoyed Loki more. It was pretty close, though. Yeah, it was pretty close for me. I enjoyed both of them. I didn't love either of them. I enjoyed both of them, and uh, you know, I don't think either of them were groundbreaking, but both of them were, were good. So I'm definitely happy with what we're what's going on in the Marvel universe right now. Yeah, let's start with the movie. I mean, you went to the theater, so like, was like, were the people in the theater jazzed to get another Marvel movie back under their belts? A little bit. Yeah, I, I did go. I, I, you know, I went, it came out Friday. So I guess Thursday night was opening. I didn't go till Tuesday night. So I'm, I think maybe if I went the opening like last Thursday would have been a little bit different, a little more crowded, but it was, you know, a third full, which nowadays I don't know if theaters get full anymore. I don't know. I haven't gone to an opening. I'm not sure how it works. I don't think you're allowed to sit next to anybody. I'm not sure, but you know, it was a good movie. People were amped up. There were some, there were some applauses, some, some laughs, the funny parts. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I just say people like, were really people were laughing a lot at um, uh, David Harbour's performance. Yeah, David Harbour was the highlight for me. Like he was so funny, like in his role, he's so committed to his bit of like being like, oh, I fought Captain America. It's so great, and now it's you're sort of like he's and he's realizing he's just a cosmic joke of the group. Yeah, but he, he got a good. Uh, Really good audience reaction. Really good. Yeah. And so so did um, Yelena. Did I say that right? Yelena. Yeah. 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 Florence Pugh. Yeah. 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 I think the the funniest part of the movie for me, besides David Harbour, was when Florence Pugh was making fun of uh, Black Widow for posing every time she flipped, and it was something that they've had in the movies forever, and you never noticed it before. And then she points out, you just immediately start laughing. Yeah, and they brought it back a couple times, which was nice. You know. She, she had mentioned it and then it happened again and then she did it so it was interesting yeah and i think in terms of this whole story i thought it was fun there were good action sequences in the movie i thought it was good to get a little depth in scarlett johansson's character because she's sort of been the underutilized one for the whole time but like for me i feel like this movie came about like three or four years too late 
Um, yeah, I think this would have been a nice movie to throw in between it, Infinity War and Endgame. Like in the Ant-Man The Lost spot. Yeah, that would have been a nice spot for that. I mean, it does add a little more to the movie that we know she dies, I think. Yeah. So that's one thing that I do get. I do think it's okay for where it's placed. I think it adds a lot to it. But I agree. It would have been a little bit, you know, you could change things around. So I think it would have benefited this movie if it came out in like late 2018. I think that makes sense. Like, because like we had the break from Ant Man and the Wasp until until like Captain Marvel was about like nine months. He slept in November of 2018. I think it fits a little nicer. Yeah, I would have enjoyed it a little bit um, more. But again, as I mentioned, it it was huge. Knowing that she dies in the movie, I think that added a lot. Yeah, it did because you go into it saying, "Oh, this is Scarlett Johansson's last ride in the Marvel universe." Right, and you don't know where it's going to lead up to. You know, when when you first go and you we just know it takes place in between Civil War and Infinity War. We don't know how, how close it could have been a day after Civil War, could have been the day before Infinity War. I thought I was wrong. My prediction was at the end of the movie, she was gonna get called by Steve Rogers to go help out Wanda and Vision in Europe. Yeah. That's what I thought we were gonna lead right into Infinity War that way. But we did not. Yeah, they went a different way. They basically had her have the Quinjet, and then she's the one who picks up Steve and falcon and they're the ones and then they take the quinjet to go find her and i was saying yesterday in the theater i actually said to my buddy you know our good friend mike brescia i went with him i said she, she said i'm gonna go break steve and i believe sam wilson i'm not sure who else was it maybe paul rudd also or not paul rudd uh, i think scott you, lang yeah out of jail i said to him i go that would be a great movie or yeah. a great tv show to see that'd be awesome yeah he was like a great like a half hour special That'd be great to see. I would love that, but yeah, that's not what they decided to show us. But um, yeah, I mean, I was very happy with the movie. Did you feel like we need an origin for the vest that she was wearing in Infinity War? No, I didn't notice it. <laughs> no, it's, that's one of those things I was realizing. They showed the I'm like, oh, they were they spent the whole week explaining why she was wearing a vest in Infinity War. I'm like, yeah, it's like it's like um, Han Solo's dice in Solo. Yeah. No one cared about them at all, and they were never a big deal until. Until the last Jedi and Solo made them a big deal, yeah, they were just there. They yeah. never like no one thought twice about them. Were you a big Were you a big Lost guy back in the day? No, I've only seen the first season. I liked it a lot, but I never saw anything more. Well, I'll, I'm not gonna. This doesn't spoil much for you, but there was an episode in season three where they were trying to kill time, where they did an episode explaining where Jack's tattoos came from as a, as the flashback story, and that's sort of what this feels like to me. It's like, yeah, like it's we need to know where one where. Uh, Natasha got the vest from she was rocking in Infinity War. No, I don't think anyone even noticed it until like they beat, they beat the point home that basically she got from her sister. Yeah, really not um not needed at all. Yeah. What do you think of the villain in this movie? What do you think of the whole scene at the sequence of the Red Room? But actually, that's my favorite part of the movie. That's yeah. to me is what saved the movie. I thought so. Do you remember the scene? It actually ended up making sense at the end, but do you remember the scene when they went to the the mother's, the mother, quote, yeah. house, the farm, and yeah. they were there for like 45 minutes. Yes. I'm saying in the theater, I'm like, this is dragging on. This is way too long. These scenes ended up being long on purpose because they were plotting their whole plan. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's when they cut, but, that's when they intentionally cut to the conversation between Yelena and David Harbour's character. And that, yeah. And, the, and I was, I'm, I'm sitting there like, this is dragging on. Oh my God. Oh my God. But I guess it was for a reason. 
Yeah, because all that stuff happened off screen. They need to fill the time and explain. So all exactly, that, yeah. They made the time to have this plan and detail everything off screen. Right, but at the time, I'm sitting there like, what is going on? Yeah. I did like the throwback to the the facial-wearing tech that Black Widow used in, Cap- in Captain America Winter Soldier. She used it here again to pull the con on, on uh, I forget what the bad guy's name was, but. George, uh, Dr- Drakov. Drakov, yes. I, you know, I don't know if you recall, but I had The Winter Soldier as a top three movie for me when we did the MCU rankings. So yeah. I was very appreciative of that. It was, I thought it was a great, that was a great movie and that was a great callback for it. But you had asked what I thought about the whole scene with like the Red Room and stuff. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought he was a great villain. I thought he was played really well. I thought everything about, everything about it made sense. He wasn't like, like if they make a villain who's trying to take over the world now, to me, it's not going to make sense because where were you the last 10 years? Yeah. Now this, what he's doing fits in and it's like, okay, this is why he wasn't involved in the Thanos thing. Cause it doesn't involve, doesn't impact him. No, you know he, what I mean? he's on a different, he's going on a different plan. Right. Exactly. So I'm okay. I, I liked that a lot. And I thought it was, I thought yeah, it was, it, it was good. It was a good villain. Yeah. It was a good villain. And I think in terms of a great, I give this a B. I thought it was fine. Like I think I don't think this could be one of people going back to rewatch a ton. So what do you think? No, I agree. It was a good movie. It was nothing fantastic. It wasn't anything special, but it was good. And I'm glad I went and I had a good time. Yeah. So you made the list. Your recently. You were in the MCU rankings. Your list. Your rankings made the list here. So like, if you were to slot Black Widow in now, where would you put it? Oh, I want to see if I can find my actual ranking so i can get you an exact number but my guess is going to be somewhere around um somewhere around like 15 16 but i'm going to see if i can find my actual rankings yeah I'm go- i think i think i can yeah i'm also gonna pull up on my i'm gonna look for the marvel movie ranking spreadsheet okay so so i i do have the my mcu list here in front of me that i have saved in my google drive yeah. unfortunately i edited it and it is now my star wars list Okay, so do you want? So it is. So it is not. It is. It is not gonna work. Okay, would you like to know what you have? Uh, fifteen and sixteen on your list. Yeah, have, give me around there. I think it's what I had Spider Man at like fourteen. Okay, then, fifteen. You have Ant Man. Sixteen is Ant Man the Wasp. Seventeen is Iron Man three. Those are the three. Those, yeah, I think it fits perfect right before Iron Man three, right after the Ant Man's. Yeah, on my personal list, I think I have it about the same. I think I have. I think I have 15. I have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I don't think it's better than that. I think it's better than Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is my 16. So I would slide it right there. Yeah, my Guardians uh, rankings were were interesting, and you brought that up because I had number one at, like, number four, and I had number two at, like, 22. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I was split, like, more towards the middle with those. So that's yeah. where you put on the list. And so, let- yeah, that's where, I, that's where I put it, definitely. And um, I got to say, though, um, I was really – taken back by something that i didn't realize going into the theater and then leaving it i was like oh wow that's the point so going into it i'm thinking to myself oh her sister is blonde this is why she dyes her hair blonde because she's trying to say my sister was good she did a good deed blah 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 Uh, my thought is the sister is gonna die and she wears the blonde to you know honor her sister then i realized wait no this is the opposite this is how we get the new Black Widow. Yeah. This is what what's what Natasha did inspiring her, not vice versa. Yeah. So now we have our new Black Widow in the universe and we saw in the post credit scene what is 
to come for her. Yeah, and that post-grad scene was interesting because it's the it's the only really big one we get, and we see as she did appear in uh, Falcon Winter Soldier, we do get to see uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's Constantina like character sh- show up here, contested characters show up, and she apparently has hired uh, Yolanda to work for her in sort of her anti like uh, like her anti-hero new like uh, Avengers initiative with John Walker and. We basically see her send her on mission and say, hey, go kill Hawkeye. He's the one who's responsible for your sister's death. So that sort of ties in. The first time I really think that we've had a movie spin something into a TV show because that's where she's going to show up next. Yeah, that's great. It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, I'm assuming that's where the Hawkeye show is going to start us off. Yeah, because she's supposed to appear okay. in Hawkeye, the Hawkeye show. So I imagine that she's going to end up fighting Hawkeye right. and uh, Kate Bishop in that show. I would assume she starts fighting them, learns the truth, and then turns changes her mind. But the, you know, that's you probably about a year away. But actually, a little bit less. I think Hawkeye's at the end of the year. But I, I, I'm a little confused by something. Maybe you can shine some light on this. Um, Julia Louis Dreyfus was in Falcon Winter Soldier, and this correct? Yes. yes. Falcon Winter Soldier finale was about two months ago. Yeah. Right. Wasn't this movie delayed like a year? So wasn't this supposed to come first? Yes. It was. So are we seeing this out of order or out of intended order? Out or did intent- they add this scene in after it was delayed? Well, we don't really know, right? It's. I think it's out of intended order. I think this was going to be her tease. And then, like, because this, remember, this is supposed to be out before any of the shows came out. So this sort of, like, may drives you to the TV shows a little bit. Interesting. It's interesting. I, I think it works better the way it ended up playing out yeah because we know who she is and then she's there and it's like oh this is what's going on instead of just who's this yeah i like you know because she kind of introduced herself in falcon winter soldier yeah i think we'll we'll put a stop on black widow there let's go on to the loki finale which i'm going to put the spoiler warning up here because there is some massive stuff that happened in here and the episode itself was a little plot like a heavy exposition but there was some big moments happened here that could set up rankings for a lot of different things So for those who are not keeping up with Loki, get out, go watch the finale, come back. There's going to be a lot of spoilers coming up here. So where we left off in the show prior to the finale was Loki and Sylvie, the Varian, get through the Alioth creature and get to the mansion, which I think looks like a some sort of like bizarro sanctum santorum. And then we find out there, we see Jonathan Majors there, who we know is playing Kang the Conqueror in Ant-Man 3. And he's playing basically a variant of himself and explains the whole rules of the multiverse. And it took way too long exposition wise. The whole episode was like a gigantic info dump, but he was charming enough. That I was entertained. I think the episode as a whole is exactly what you said. It was way too info heavy. It was so hard to keep up, like in terms of paying attention, like what's happening, but it's going to pay off huge. It absolutely and- will. Yeah, and it was it was a good episode because of that, and there were a lot there was a lot going on though, and I was really bored out of my mind to be honest with you while watching it. Yeah, like I was sort of trying to keep up with what's going on because I mean the problem I had with it, and that's the only problem I had is like I think of the forty minute episode, I think there's solid fifteen minutes I was spent with like Loki and Sylvie sitting in the chairs listening to Cat to the old to the he who should not he who remains tell them a story about the multiverse. Yep. And I think there's just too much. It yeah. reminded, honestly, I would when I'm sitting there, I said this is just like last night when I'm watching um, Black Widow and they're in the bedroom talking for like 20 minutes. I'm like, why do they keep adding these long scenes? Yeah, yeah. But 
it had a lot to explain. I mean, he explained the multiverse to them and we've been waiting for it since WandaVision. We thought we were getting it in WandaVision. Then we thought, we didn't really think we were going to get it in Falcon Winter Soldier. I don't think anyone really did, but who knew? And then here we thought we, we got finally it. got it. Yeah. I mean, they, they, well, now, yeah, this is like, um, you know, what, first episode we got it right yeah. away when he went in the when he went to the Tesseract. Yeah. I mean, they were explaining, they hinting at this back in, in, back in Avengers Endgame, the Starry Teeth in the multiverse. This is now like almost three years in the making. Yeah. They've been teasing it and teasing it and teasing it. And now we finally have it. Yeah. We finally have it. So the end result here is that. Kang, the, like we find out that Sylvie basically kicks uh, Loki back into the TVA. She kills the he who remains, and he basically says, "You have two choices at this point: either you and, and Loki rule the TVA and leave things as they are, or you kill me and risk a multiversal war happening." And she chooses Door B, which basically sets up for a whole lot of shenanigans coming forward in the MCU. I mean, thank God, right? Yeah. Imagine she didn't, and then and that's the future the MCU was, was Loki running the TVA. Yeah. So thank God she did. I mean, that's it's going to be awesome. I'm assuming this is exactly why it's called Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, right? Yeah. You get that tie-in. You could, This explains why we have rumors of the Doc Ock and uh, Electro appearance in the other universes, because this is something that opens up there. Yeah. And this explains... I wish this explained why we saw Ivan Peters, but we decided on a fart joke. What was it? What did they name him? It was Ralph Boner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Disappointing. But, yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah. It's, it's, awesome. it's an awesome episode. I, I mean, I just it just doesn't feel like a complete show to me. And that's well, why I was disappointed. Well, it's not a complete show. I mean, it's coming back for a season two. They already announced that. So they had announced before COVID that Loki was one season, 12 episodes. So I think I think this is the mid-season finale, and they just split it into two. Yeah, they said they renewed it for a second season. So, like, that, that's where it sort of explains we got the cliffhanger at the end where Loki comes back in the TVA. He runs into Mobius and B-15, and neither one of them recognize him. So he's going to try to figure out what's going on there. We see the statue is not not the timekeepers, but a statue of Kang the Conqueror. Yep. Yeah. I, I think that this, like I said, though, I think this was a one-season show that they split into two seasons. And have and this is really what we just watched was the mid-season finale. And then we just still have seven more or six more. Because not a lot of these, a lot of these, like a lot of times in these shows and in movies, especially in Marvel, we all, ha- they all have their own little narrative, but they're all part of an overall narrative. And they're, and as the movie ends, all the doors shut on their current narrative, but the overall one remains. Yeah. None of the doors shut in Loki. They're all wide open. There are a lot of branches we saw in that, in that timeline at the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's exciting for season two. It almost feels like a little setup season in a way. Yeah, but it was, st- but it was still good. Yeah, I think it was still good. I think I'm curious about mostly is like now we have this season two coming. Is like, what are we gonna do with Loki himself? Because they obviously like, what's I don't know where his situation goes. That's what's exciting. There are a lot of possibilities they can do with him. Yeah, I mean, it's infinite what they can do with him because no one recognizes him, and he can. He can do whatever. Well, he has his memory. No one else has theirs, but he has his. Yeah. So, I he can. I mean, he can do whatever he wants. Considering no one remembers him, he can make his own new life if he wants to. Yeah. I just think the big thing here is that we got John the Majors here early. We got a tease of Kang. We got the Kang variant basically. And this is, I read sort of online somewhere. This is sort of like a comic thing where it's like a basically a version of Kang. that just got tired of trying to conquer, so he said, "You know, I'm just gonna." rule the t- control the timeline and make sure nothing is out of control so i think it is thing that like 
we basically got the Kang, who's going to be our presumably our big bad for the next couple of MCU phases created here on the TV show side. It's really cool to see someone that was already confirmed for a movie be in the show because it was just it's it's just awesome to see them connecting. Yeah. So like what we talk about, it's let's talk about it's what we talk about when we do the Sky Guys. We talk about Star Wars. We talk about how they connect with the movies and how they how everything is just interconnected. It's movies, it's TV shows, it's comic books, it's video games, it's all part of the same continuity. And it's just a cool thing. It's awesome to have it. Kevin Feige, did yep. I say it right? Yep. Kevin Feige, I kind of credit for, well, obviously credit him for Marvel, but I kind of credit him for starting the whole interconnected continuity universe and media in general. And it's, all, it's the coolest thing ever. You can watch a show and you, uh, it, it, can, it is a bad thing in a way, but it's a great thing. Like you, No one, no one can just turn on Loki without seeing any of the other stuff and understand what's happening at all. Yeah. That's kind of a negative. True. But everyone has seen this stuff. We're talking about some of, just about the highest grossing movie ever. Yeah. So like, or I guess technically Avatar passed them because they went into theaters again, but people know it. People have seen it. So it's such a great thing. All right. Give me your gray on the season of Loki. What do you think? I'll give it a B plus. I want, I would have given it an A if some of the doors shut, yeah. but it just doesn't feel complete to me. And it's not a complete show. It doesn't feel like even a complete season to me. Yeah. I, I give it saying B plus. I think like the thing, like some of like the dragging a little bit, hurt it a little, a little, I thought it went a different direction. I thought we were going originally. I thought it was going to be just Loki hopping around the timeline, messing things up. Instead, we just got this sort of like, Loki's journey of discovery of himself and like seeing all the variants was cool, but like I think the the info dumpy nature of the finale I think hurt it a lot. Yeah, I think this finale was still a good episode. Don't get me wrong, but it was lackluster in terms of action stuff happening. Yeah, yeah, action stuff happening. It was just info. Yeah, because the, for me again, the you have a finale. You like there was only one really big action set piece where like Loki and Silly fight for like a minute. Before, rather than debating about what to do here, I thought it was a f- fascinating discussion with them trying to decide like how to handle the situation. But again, your main character spending fifteen minutes sitting in chairs, laying lecture about the multiverse is not exactly thrilling television. Yeah, it's 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 really not. But I guess when when you make these ridiculous rules, like they did with time travel and Endgame, they had to make their own. They made their own rules for it. And when you make your own rules for the multiverse, your audience has to understand it. So. I think you could have done it at a different time, but that information did need to be said to us. Yeah, they figured it would be easier to on a TV show than in a movie theater. I guess so. Yeah. And for sh- and the next thing on the Marvel Universe here is the What If show, which is the animated show where we're talking about, like, Jeffrey Rice, the, the voice of, I think, The Watcher, and he, we're seeing all these alternate scenarios in the MCU. A lot of the voice actors in there. Are you interested in this at all? I'm more interested in this than anything in Marvel related in the future. Really? I Yeah, I can't wait for this. This is exactly what I want in Star Wars. Yeah, I want the exact same thing called What If in Star Wars. It would be incredible. I've, it's just, it's so, such a cool thing to think of. It's like, well, what if, you know, Steve Rogers never woke up out of the ice? What if um, Tony Stark became the Hulk instead of Bruce Banner? Like, that's just, that's awesome to see. What if? You know, bringing it to Star Wars. What if Anakin Skywalker never turned into Darth Vader? Like, it's that's awesome. I want to know. Yeah, I I think it's coming out next month. I'm excited to see that. I cannot wait for that one because that one yeah. I like the choices they made. They also 
having all the vo- all the voice actors back is a big plus. Yeah, I think almost almost everybody, at least yeah. I'm aware of. I'm not sure if anyone is not, but I think there are a few. Yeah, and also it's the last uh, Marvel work for Chadwick Bose, who did record at, like lines for T'Challa in that show before he passed away. So a little bittersweet there. Yeah, I don't know how they're gonna make them the movie without him, but they said they will. Yeah, I'm sure they'll have something come up here. Speaking of the movies here, like of the ones coming up soon, I mean, we got Shang-Chi and the Seven Rings. I think in September, we have the Eternals, November, Spider-Man and the, like Spider-Man No Way Home, Doctor Strange coming soon. So which of these like, gets catches your eye the most? Well, the first two I'm interested in, not as much excited in, because I don't know any of these characters yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know Shang-Chi yet. I don't know. I, I when I see the the Eternals, I think of Game of Thrones. They have yeah. two of the actors. That's what I, I I see that guy as Rob Stark. I don't see him as whoever he's playing the Eternals. But um, those are interesting. But the other two, I'm obviously pumped for. But I'm I'm more excited than anything for Spider Man. I love Spider Man. He's probably my favorite outside of Thor and, and maybe Iron Man. I don't know, but I love Spider Man. I always have. And the rumors that we're hearing with this are crazy. Like, are we going to see Tobey Maguire again? Yeah, I love the I love those Tobey Maguire movies. Those are my favorite. I actually never saw the Andrew Garfield ones. I, I think I've told you that before, yeah. but that I love those Tobey Maguire movies. We're gonna get Doc Ock back. It's just I think Tom Holland does great too. I love both of the Spider Man movies in the MCU. I put them pretty much right in the middle of the rankings, but but that's just because of how much I enjoyed some of those other movies. But I'm really, really excited to see Spider Man. I think it's gonna be awesome. I, I mentioned Tom Holland. I like his friend. I always forget that guy's name. Ned, Ned. I don't know the yeah. actor's name. I think it's like Jacob Battleon. Yeah, it's just awesome. I love the universe to have there. Like all the casting decisions. I think Spider-Man's in a great position. Yeah, I said before, I have some concerns about like the multiverse of about the multiverse aspect of that because again, Spider-Verse is probably a, is a expertly done movie and I feel nervous to try and rip it off for live action. I don't know if they stick to the landing on that. Do you think if they do, well, I'm assuming that movie's going to be multiverse related considering we're having Doc Ock in it. So do you think that movie brings in Miles Morales? I think it's possible. It would be fun. Have you ever, have you gotten to the game yet? Have you beaten it? Of Miles Morales? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great game. Oh yeah, you had beaten it first actually, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a fantastic game. Because my theory with that is they're going to do something where we have a second Spider-Man set up so that Sony can do some Spider-Man movies on their own outside of Marvel. So they can bring all those like more like, Mobi- like Morbius and uh, Venom franchise into a Spider-Man without having Holland be there. Yeah, I mean, I've, I can see why Sony doesn't want to, but it'd really be nice if they just gave up on the spider on their own little... Venom verse, whatever they're called, just yeah. give that stuff to Marvel. Keith, so we can get all the continuity. It'd be great, but I get why they're not doing it. And since they don't sell it, me and you get exclusive rights to the video game. Yes, we do. So that's nice. Absolutely. And Nick, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate. We'll be back soon. We'll be doing some Star Wars movie rankings in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm pumped for that. I got my list ready. May have to do an edit or two, but I have it ready. Yeah, I'm good. I'm going through. I'm getting ready to edit lists. I cannot wait to do that next time. Have you watched any? Not yet. Do you plan to? Still? Yes. Okay. All right. I'll be a lot of, a lot of cringing, binging here because the movie's done, but they will be done. Yeah, no, Pete, Pete's been doing a lot. I think he's almost halfway done or halfway yeah. done already. Yeah, Pete's out racing. Pete's out racing us, which almost never happens. Yeah. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see what his, his list is, and it'll be, that'll be coming up in a couple weeks, Nick. Thanks again. Yep. Thank you. All right. And that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest. 
Martina Puccia for helping on do the Olympic soccer preview. Uh, Anthony Sorbellini coming on to do Olympic baseball. Dandy Martini doing Olympic golf. Nick Fryer for doing the Olympic basketball and our look at Marvel stuff. The Loki finale, I think, much better than Black Widow, but both fun nonetheless. If you want to get stuff like this podcast, including my look at the latest 30 for 30 film, Breakaway, talking about Maya Moore's sabbatical from basketball to help reform the criminal justice system, check out the blog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. You'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platforms. You can find all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star rings well to make the podcast even better going forward. Let's check out my YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Individual conversations on this podcast, including all the ones from today, up on the YouTube page. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube as well. Also, follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. Be a fun show next week. We're going to get into the NBA offseason stuff with the Knicks going on. So, some fun, a lot of trade rumors flying around. What can the Nets do? Draft. Do a little space jam and more. Until then, enjoy the Olympics, everyone. Thank <laughs> you.